it's just a stigma. Like we're we're not bad people. Just unfortunate situations have placed us here, and with the pandemic and not having housing, getting back on your feet today and today is just it's so so hard. And so I don't want people to look down on people like me because we're we're really struggling. Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Where will Vermont's unhoused people live? That question has come to the forefront this week as more than 540 households were slated to lose their rooms in motels as of tomorrow. Vermont's General Assistance Housing Program has used vacant motel rooms to house Vermonters who would otherwise be homeless during the COVID-19 pandemic. According to Vermont Digger, about 700 people were forced out of the program July 1st, while people with children or with disabilities or who were fleeing dangerous or life-threatening conditions were allowed to remain. This 84-day extension on those emergency motel stays was slated to end this Thursday. Well, yesterday, Governor Phil Scott announced a 30-day pause. This announcement came following pressure from a coalition of activists who point out that the federal government has committed to paying for homeless people to reside in hotels until the end of the year. Today, we're going to hear from advocates for the homeless, motel owners, and motel residents about their situation. We're going to begin with Addie Lenzner, a senior at Arlington High School in Vermont. She helped organize a letter signed by dozens of owners of emergency hotels around the state. The letter, which was released yesterday, said, quote, We as motel owners call on Governor Scott to use the federal money to reinstate the General Assistance Motel Program through December and ensure that there is safe and consistent housing available when the time comes to transition out. At this point, every available motel room should be used for shelter. Now is the time to act before almost 600 people are kicked out. Close quote. Well, Abby Lentzner, uh, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Thank you so much for having me. So explain how you got involved in this issue. You're a senior in high school um, and what you did. Yeah, so for me, um, this really started uh, actually before the pandemic. Um, There was a man in... Beddington, uh, who was named Terry Huega, and he was experiencing homelessness, and he didn't have a motel room one night, and he didn't have shelter, so he had to sleep outside, and unfortunately, he ended up dying. Um, so that was a catalyst, and then... When and when, the when did that occur, Eddie? Yeah, that was February 2020. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, when the GA motel program um, during COVID came around, that was really an opportunity to prevent um, that from happening ever again to anyone else. Um, But when this July came around and people were exited from the program, um, you know, that was something that really I felt wasn't fair because we should be using this program as, as more of a bridge to address homelessness and to keep people sheltered um, until we have more housing available. So I got involved with some other advocates in both um, things happening in July and then also what's happening now. So um, the the, uh, the governor has been saying and, and the Secretary of Human Services, Mike Smith, have been saying that the hotels really 
you know, would rather have tourists and leave peepers coming in to rent rooms. So when your letter, uh, appeared yesterday, signed by, well, how many, how many hotel owners signed on to the letter? I believe it was 46. So this was something quite new. We had not heard from the hotel owners speaking collectively. Um, how did you talk about how that came about and what kind of, what you were hearing from them? Yeah. So, I was able to call around to uh, motels and hotels around the state and, um, you know, talk to talk to the owners and see what was happening from their perspective. And there were some really powerful conversations with people um, who were, you know, just saying how how terrified they were of what would happen on Thursday if this pause didn't come in um, with people who would just have nowhere to go, including families. Um, and a lot of people also had mentioned, um, motel owners had mentioned that they, you know, formed really good relationships with people over the past year, um, and that really, like, enjoyed helping the community and were willing to continue doing so. Um, I think it was out of 62 that, um, I was able to speak to all of them except two said that they really support this program continuing um, and that, you know, motel capacity issues and the simply not wanting to do it that the governor, um, you know, says is true is, is really not true. Motels support this and want this program to continue. Well, let's turn to one of those motel owners. Uh, Layla Akshamer is uh, with the Bradford Motel. Um, Layla, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Hi, how are you doing? Thank you. Thank you for involving me. Well, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, tell us what the Bradford Motel's experience is with uh, housing unhoused people uh, during the pandemic. Um, since the uh, pandemic started in 2019, and uh, I housed so many people for homeless shelters since 2019, when is the March, when the first time hit. Uh, 20, 2020, the, uh, March 2020, 2020 it would have been, yeah. March 2020, apologize. And then um, we have, uh, after July 1st, a lot of people was like, is like, you know, I cannot see them because we, we put our heart in our palms and then we're giving them a notice, you guys have to leave. And uh, is they, these people have no vehicles, no cars, and don't know how they're going to be going, where they're going to go. We have no any ideas. It's so many people get homeless after that. And then disability people, they can start to coming. They just only give them 84 days. And I even, because, you know, like sometimes when I come to the property, then I go with the talk with them and interview them. They are really, uh, you know, disabled. Like uh, I have a 84 years old woman. I have uh, people born in uh, 1938. They people born in like you know 40s, and they are vulnerable. Uh, our citizen, you know, I don't know. It's like how we put in our heart. Economic services. They say we have order to 84 days after you have to tell them get out. Hmm. And then when we giving them a notice, it's just like. You know, it's like our seniors. These, these people give us, like, you know, life. They are somebody, mom and dad, you know. 
and they are really need uh, you know housing and proper housing case workers sometimes i see that we call case workers they don't even come and see them Leila, how many people uh, are staying at the Bradford Motel under this uh, program? I have right now 20. 20. Yes. What are the – tell us a little bit about some of the, the guests. And, you know, we also hear there are a lot of challenges at these motels, uh, issues. We around. do. We do. We, you know, we do. But here's a – do not forget that thing when pandemics hit, you know, these poor people was like already was in a financial burden. You know, they got the privilege. Okay, we're going to be maybe some help. We got some help. And, you know, we have a small rooms, and they making them housing in those small rooms where some rooms has a kitchenaid and some not. And then, you know, how long they can eat a cold food, you know, and, uh, it's just it's the, they they make them a small room for two bedroom homes as example you know they keep squeezing themselves and keep living you know and then now this is like them I have some people here who is since from the pandemic they're living with me you know and uh, uh, when we call somebody a disabled of course they have a challenges of yeah. course they are have some. Um, you know, so physical or whatever kind of disability, we cannot judge them, you know. Well, let, let me bring into the yeah. conversation, uh, your son Raj is on the line. Uh, Raj, welcome to the Vermont yeah. Conversation. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thank uh, you. Tell me, what do you do at the Bradford Motel? So, I'm, uh, I'm actually Layla's son. Um, Layla and I work together. Uh, we, you know, we for the, for the whole pandemic here, we've been trying to um, help, you know, the people of, of the Vermont, of people of Bradford, Vermont. Um, you know, it's been a long, been a long process. Um, but, you know, I, you know, my goal, what I do is I do a lot of the management process for Layla. I do, you know, a lot of the, um, what do you call it, the room processing and all that, screening for the tenants and whatnot. So we, bo- we both work hand-in-hand together. Um, but I've just noticed that, you know, with the pandemic and all that, I mean, I'm sorry, after the pandemic, you know, once this, and if it goes down, I, you know, there's, there's a huge homeless problem that we have in this state. Um, and it's, you know, it doesn't seem like that, you know, it's getting taken care of anytime soon. Um, you know, I think that we have a, I guess the, this, there's all this weird stipulation, I think, that we have with what we call with people that are on these voucher programs and all. And it, it's truly that, you know, it's not, it's not always that they're homeless. It's not always that, you know, that it's their problem. You know, it's the economy, it's them losing their jobs. Um, so I'm sorry I kind of went into yeah, well, questions and all that. So, so you know, we're hearing from officials in the Scott administration that the hotels, you know, want to move on. They want to have tourists filling their rooms. But it sounds Correct. like you're saying something very different. You do want to continue working with people who are homeless. Well, I mean, listen, I, you know, Layla's, when Layla bought the business, it was for lodging, okay? And that's what it's, you know, it's still meant for, you know, to be a lodging business. Um, but what I've noticed was, you know, there is no one, you know, you have all these housing authorities, you have all these, you know, places where, you know, they're all full. So who is going to accommodate for them? Who is going to take care of these people? You know, um, you know, we're not, like I said, we're kind sold people. We like to help, you know, we love to help others out and all that. But, you know, it seems like that, you know, since, you know, if this program does end, there won't be any options for these people. I mean, I know, listen, there's, I grew up in Bradford, Vermont, okay? 
Okay. I knew some of these people when I was younger. I knew them when they were thriving, they had a job and everything like that. And, you know, sometimes things hit them in life where, you know, it, it affects them in a way where it, it just kind of, it just causes them to, you know, become homeless. It causes them to be in certain situations. And, you know, I don't mind helping those people. I, I like doing that. You know, I think that's something we can do. But, you know, if we, if there's no help from the state, if there's not, you know, more of a, you know, if there's not an incentive to go out and, you know, build this type of, you know, affordable housing and all that, you know, what, what can we do? You know, that's, you know, it's getting tougher and tougher. You know, once this program ends, what's next? You know, I think that's the, you know, the biggest, you know, problem with for Vermonters and all that. You know, we, we do have a problem and, you know, I think, Someone or something, you know, someone's got to take, uh, how do you call it, take that step to, you know, change that. You know, I, I love you. Nope. I've lived here all my life. You know, I, I don't want to see it go down just because of the pandemic. You know, I think that we can change that. So. Did you, did the Bradford Motel have to turn some people out in July when part of the state program ended for, you know, people who were uh, less vulnerable? Yes, sir. Yes, and, you know, we, and some we of have, people, you know, and I think Layla can really um, talk to you more about uh, that, you know, uh, when it comes down to people. I mean, they really did cut down a lot of people. You know, a lot of people home. are now living, you was, know, they're homeless, they're living outside, living in tents. Um, you know, and that really did take a toll, you know, for, for these people. You know, I don't know, you know, some of these people have lived with us for about, what, six, seven months. You know, they're on the streets now. So it's like, what can we do, you know, to accommodate and help them? And, you know, I, you know, it's, you know, it's been, it's, the program's been very helpful. I would say I'm not talking down upon anything. Um, State of Vermont's been very helpful with this, but, you know, we have to figure out how we can help everybody. Um, you know, I think that, you know, it's a good, it, you know, whatever happened in July, ha- you know, had to happen. I think, you know, probably due to funds or whatever. I'm not totally sure, but, you know, uh, it definitely affected a lot of Vermonters. Um, and if this program does shut down, it will affect, you know, a lot of people, a lot more people than they actually anticipate. I'm curious, uh, Raj, how did this affect you? I mean, it sounds like you've really developed relationships with the people who are staying at well, your motel. Um, well, I mean, you know, I mean, you know, a lot of them, like I said, they lost lost a lot of their jobs. Um, you know, I I went to school, I specialized in finance and all that, but I also, you know, my I also did a lot of social work as well when I was in college, and I really liked that type of aspect. You know, that was something that I was really interested in. Um, something I've always, you know, I've always wanted to help people out. And um, I think that when I, since I've been raised, my mother's always taught me, you know, you, if you help people out and if you do the right thing for certain people, um, you know, karma, good karma will come to you, good things will come to you. And I, you know, I believe that, you know, I believe that I live how, that's how I live my life, you know. And um, I'm not saying that, you know, these people have, you know, everyone has a sob story, right? You know, everyone, you can feel for everybody. You can, you know, have some sort of sense of emotion for them. But, you know, I think that just providing some, you know, a roof over their head is, you know, is a great sense of, uh you know, it, it preserves someone's mental health in certain ways. And I think that you can see that with these people, you know, when they live, when they go in these, you know, in these, in our rooms, you know, they're happy. You, know, right. you would expect them not to be happy, but they're happy because there's a roof overhead. They're not sitting outside in the cold. Well, let's, you know, let's, uh, let's turn to one of the, uh, hotel guests. Olive is calling in to join us. Olive, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Hey, how are you? It's a pleasure to be here. Well, um, Olive, can you uh, do you mind telling us where are you staying uh, these days? I am currently staying at a a hotel in Morrisville, Vermont. Okay, um, tell us a little bit about what your situation is that resulted in you being in this hotel. 
Um, unfortunately for me, mine was a little unfortunate. I was staying um, with a personal friend who ended up having some mental issues and all of a sudden turned and told me I was not allowed to stay there anymore. So in the course of 24 hours, I went from having everything to absolutely nothing. I had to leave all my belongings behind and start over. Um, and that was super frustrating. But the state of Vermont did put me up in a hotel. Um, and that has been extremely helpful. Hmm. Um, how long have you been in the hotel? I've currently been here about six months now. What's? I'm sorry, I missed that. About six months. About six months. So mm-hmm. if you were forced to leave the hotel, where would you go? Uh, I absolutely have nowhere else to go, as currently the situation in Vermont is a little unfortunate. There are no houses. I do get disability, and I would be able to afford a place, but places are just, they're not as available as they used to be, and getting into them are, are extremely hard as they open up very infrequently, and when they do, people jump on them right away, and I'm not at the top of the list by any means, unfortunately. Hmm. Um what will it, it mean? Be I mean, devastating for me to be asked to leave. Right. So, if you, what do you think would happen? Uh, where would you, where would you go if you weren't in the hotel? Honestly, I would probably be out in the streets or living in my vehicle, hmm. like I was was before the pandemic. When I there was a, there was about when I went through this before um, when I was younger and. That is where I, I ended up. Are you were you working before or are you able to work now? Um, no, I'm currently on disability, which is making my situation even tougher because the funds are limited. Right. And so for you this sick. hotel program um, is pretty critical. It it definitely is. Hmm. Especially with the winter coming up, it could be literally a matter of life and death at this point to help help Vermonters who who are struggling, especially those on disability and the elderly. Um, They're very, very vulnerable. Not saying that everyone else is not, but those people especially are more vulnerable, and it is going to affect everyone if this ends. Can you describe the situation in your hotel? Um, We hear mixed things, that, that some of these hotels are... Um, you know, there are a lot of challenges. There's issues of substance abuse going on and, and such things. What's happening in right. your hotel? Um, this is a question I actually would love to answer. And you are right. It is a very, in each hotel, it's a very mixed bag. You get a lot of people like me who are very appreciative, who do have nothing else, who are really relying on this program. And I've personally witnessed other people come in who just use this as a weekend place to hang out. Um, and the hotels address that very quickly. They jump on it, they notice it, and it is done and over with. Um, so yes, those do come in, but the hotels are usually addressing them pretty, pretty well and pretty quickly and very fairly. And so if that is happening, they, they will be asked to leave, but it is definitely a struggle when they do come in because we, no one knows, um, beforehand. Right. Who's coming. Do you feel safe or have you ever felt unsafe in the hotel that you No, in? absolutely not. Those people do come in and it's a little bit of a struggle, but I have never personally felt unsafe here. This, the hotel makes it, like I said, they jump on it. If they see things, we report it. They keep an eye on them. And I have never felt unsafe where I am. What do you want people to know about 
folks like yourself who are staying in the hotels? What I'd like people to know mostly is that just because we're in this situation, I know people have a negative outview on quote-unquote people like us. Um, or but like me, um, but it's just a stigma. Like we're we're not bad people. Just unfortunate situations have placed us here, and with the pandemic and not having housing, getting back on your feet today and today is just it's so so hard. And so I don't want people to look down on people like me because we're we're really struggling. If you want to see a change, you need to you need to help in any way possible. Anything will help. You know, even just putting your voice out there will be be enough anything you can do you know and just having a positive outlook on people always is what you should always do olive do you you never know what someone's going through do you expect or hope that you will be able to get a job someday in a place of your own i absolutely with time and with with the proper resources i will be able to get back on my feet and once i do it only will go up i've only gone up since i i got here i started with nothing and where I am right now is it's phenomenal, and it's all because of this program. So, hmm. well, let me turn to Kim Kim Anitzberger, who is executive director of the Lamoille Community House, which is a seasonal homeless shelter in Hyde Park. Uh, Kim, welcome to the Vermont Conversation. Thank you, David. I'm glad to be here. Kim, I wonder if you could explain in Lamoille County what people who want housing are facing in terms of the availability and the cost of housing? What is driving this crisis of homelessness? That's a great question. Um, well, the availability um, is is quite dire. Um, our vacancy rate in Lamoille County specifically, um, there was a survey done in 2018. It's only done every five years, but the vacancy rate at that time was 1.8%. Um, and I can only guess that it's gone down since then. Um, as, and that's just for market rate um, rentals in the area. But when it comes to affordable rental units, um, we have Lamoille Housing Partnership, who has subsidized and affordable units. And their report last month said that there was only five vacant apartments out of the 280 units that they have. And only two of those were subsidized. And just to... Um, show you the contrast, there's 143 applicants that are on a waiting list for subsidized units, and for their entire wait list, there's actually 486 applicants waiting, and it usually takes at least a year to get to the top of the list. Um, so that's a, a quick snapshot. And of, they're, they're um, waiting for five the available units, these 400 and some people. Yeah. I mean, yeah. that's that's incredible. So basically, when people go to look for housing in Lamoille County, which has some big employers, you know, the Smuggler's Notch Ski Resort and Stone Mountain Resort and many hotels. They look around, Mm -hmm. and you're saying there's a 1% vacancy rate, so there's basically nothing. That's correct. There's basically nothing, Um, which is why the GA program is, is so essential to keeping people safe until the housing stock is built. Um, And, like I mentioned, Lamoille Housing Partnership is our local organization that works on affordable housing in our area, and they do have projects in the pipeline to help increase the housing stock. But, you know, that's not going to happen overnight, and it's not going to happen in the next 30 days for sure. So, um, you know, in order to keep people housed and, and bridge them over to that housing, we need to rely on programs like the GA 
voucher program. I mean, how important is this motel housing program in your view to the situation that you're confronting uh, in Lamoille County and its surrounding areas? I think it's essential. It's crucial. <laughs> it's it's so, so, so important, um, especially in Lamoille County. Like you said when you introduced me that our, our, our shelter here is only seasonal, so we're not opening up until November 15th. Um, we are working right now to create a year-round shelter facility to support people every day of the year, but until then, that and even after then, because, you know, we'll have a limited capacity, um, keeping these programs and putting money into funding expanded shelter capacity is is the most important thing to do right now until the housing is built. I kind of think of it as um, like a Band-Aid or a cast on a broken arm, the GA, the GA program. And if, if we take off that cast too soon, you know, the the broken arm will not heal. <laughs> it'll get worse, actually, and then you'll have to put more money in the new cast, and it'll 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 just prolong everything. Um, and healing that wound consists of creating more housing and creating equitable access to that housing as well. Do you? I mean, it sounds like Kim, uh, the, you really have a need for this motel housing program indefinitely, uh, in and. I mean, there's there's no end to the need. Yeah, I would I would say that. Um, you know, we've it's sorry, it's been it's it's been quite um, you know the last year and a half of of going through changes through the GA eligibility and people having to leave in July, like we talked about earlier, um, and then this. Um, extension that happened yesterday, it was a huge relief. Um, but at the same time, it feels very familiar. We've gone through this with people where we're scrambling last minute, we're sending letters into ESD, waiver forms, whatever form they need to try to keep these people housed last minute. It's just this huge scramble and it's it's chaotic and it's stressful. And I can't even imagine the trauma that it's causing the people that are staying in the hotels to have to experience that over and over again, where they think they're going to lose their housing. Well, let, and let then me they uh, breathe, let, but then let me just give uh, Layla yeah, Akshamir. We just have a minute left. Uh, Layla uh, from the Bradford Motel. How long are you willing to have um, people who are experiencing homelessness use your hotel and call your hotel home? As long as these vulnerable people, they are, you know, uh, how how I can explain that? As example, think about that is our parents living in the hotel and they don't have a housing and we want to throw them in the roads. Right. Right now is this this second crowd from July 1st. Well, let me, I think that's uh, that's all we have uh, time for here. So I'm going to have to thank you all for joining us, Layla Akshamir and your son Raj, Kim Annensberger so from Lamoille Community House, and Olive. Thanks so much for sharing your stories with us on the Vermont Conversation. We turn now to longtime advocate for the homeless, Rita Markley. For over two decades, Markley has led the Committee on Temporary Shelter, or COTS, one of Vermont's oldest shelters for people experiencing homelessness. Markley discusses how the homelessness crisis has deepened over the past 30 years as a result of policy choices, such as the closures of mental health facilities. 
I began by asking her to explain what has happened to unhoused Vermonters since the start of the COVID-19 pandemic. Well, initially, at the beginning of COVID, when the numbers were starting to rise, Vermont was extraordinary and understood immediately when I reached out and other advocates around the state with concerns that people staying in congregate shelters would not be safe. Many of the people we serve are disabled, they have health issues, but being in a place where you're you know, five feet away in a bunk bed from somebody else, that, 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 that was just gonna be disastrous for people's health. And we also knew that there were people who live in double up situations, like maybe uh, someone's living with their great aunt, but she's elderly and they work at the local grocery store that that wasn't gonna be tenable either. So very quickly, just remarkably fast, the Agency of Human Services agreed that people living in those kinds of situations where their health would be at imminent risk could move into motels. And the, the staff on both the state side and the nonprofits move very quickly to help people transition. And we are still one of the states with the lowest number of people homeless having outbreaks. I mean, it was just, it was, it's just, I'm so proud of that. And then, um, you know, we all knew that the cost of that, if the federal funding wasn't in place the way it had been at the beginning, would be a lot greater than what Vermont could likely sustain. So um, we began discussions about how do we taper it down? How do we move people along? And there were also a lot of uh, people focusing on creating new housing opportunities. So it wouldn't be something where the motel program ends and then there's no place to go. So a lot of initiatives were underway, but we realized the federal funding would end eventually. And how do we prioritize? So we went from about, I think, 2,100 households in motels down to a little over 800 with changes in who was eligible. And it was basically families with children and people with significant disabilities, COPD, third stage brain trauma. Um, I mean, not brain trauma, brain cancer. Like a, it was disabilities. So the people currently in motels are essentially the most vulnerable. They have disabilities or their families with children. I mean, statewide, I think the last number I saw is there's 346 kids staying in these overflow motels mm. with their families because they don't have another option. And then a number of people with disabilities. So as the time was coming where the new, even further restrictions were gonna go into effect, we got wonderful news. And that's FEMA funding, federal funds, would pay 100% of the cost through December 31st. So given that the housing market has only gotten tighter during the pandemic, I mean, it's just astonishing how many, how many rentals have been leased up by people out of state, people purchased home, the market is really tight. UVM, some of the local colleges and universities have more students who are living in local communities. So um, we strongly recommended let's continue the motel program since it's completely covered 
And we had already had the inklings of trouble when when the state workers were determining whether or not somebody should get an extension. It wasn't really uniform and people who truly couldn't make it with daily living would be left in horrible situations. So we wrote a letter requesting that of AHS and we assumed that they would say yes. The other key thing, David, to remember is there are new housing units that are going to come online, motels that have been converted into permanent housing in late November, early December. There's a lot underway. It just isn't available right now. So why have this enormous displacement of very vulnerable people when the program was covered? So I think I don't know if it was miscommunications with the administration or I, I, I don't know, but I'm enormously relieved that they put a pause on it on any kind of further restrictions for 30 days. Now, and I'm on the work group. Yeah. Let me just ask you mentioned there that at its height, uh, the number of people housed in hotels, this emergency COVID housing was 2100 um, I, I think I've seen as high as 2,500 in some places, but over 2,000, I guess. And that's not people, that's households. So it might be a households. family of three. Okay. Yeah, that's important. I'm talking about households. So, and then you mentioned it went to 700. Um, 800. Okay. So that means we're looking at, you know, well over 1,000 households um left or were turned out of the uh motel housing and then of course in july that shrunk to as you're ex explaining some 300 and something households do i have these numbers right right now there's still about 850 900 households in motels okay and that's down from the 2100 or 2500 households right so this new plan that would have gone into effect, the new restrictions that would have gone into effect on September 23rd, the estimate was 540 households, families with kids, people with disabilities, getting treatment for cancer, they would have been displaced. And we raised the flag saying, if FEMA, federal funding can cover 100%, why would we do this when there are a lot of housing solutions underway right now that just aren't online quite yet so what i'm uh getting back to the those original numbers um you know over a thousand households left the motels um and i'm not speaking of just the crisis this week of turning people out but yeah um where did those people go we're hearing that housing is extremely limited right now some left the state of Vermont. So if you have relatives in New Hampshire or Delaware, they might, I don't want to give identifying information, but a portion left the state altogether. Some returned to situations where they had been living with family or friends. So it's not like they have a lease, but they're in a situation where they had been maybe prior to the COVID outbreak because people felt that it was safer to have them back with vaccination rates so high. Others got uh, 
pay, I bought camping equipment and are camping right now. So I expect, I mean, that's the key. I expect we'll see some of them as the weather gets bitterly cold. So talk a little bit about these tent encampments or homeless encampments of various sorts. You are out and about seeing these things. Describe them because they are by uh, their definition, you know, meant to be out of sight, but you see them. So share what you're seeing. Um, well, there are still some that are out of sight. There are still some that are out of sight, but in Burlington, there's one, it's called Sears Lane. And it's right behind, it's right off of Pine Street. And when you walk through, you see blue tarps stretched across pallets from a warehouse or um, different kinds of lumber that have been taken or found from other places. You see tents, some in great condition, some not so much. Um, there are now porta pots down there, but it's uh, it's what I imagine during the Great Depression that Hooverville, you know, those all the little encampments along railways and rivers that what that would have looked like. How many people are in these encampments, or is in that one, for example? I've I've you know I've heard a lot of different estimates, but anywhere fifteen to thirty, fifteen to thirty, thirty-five. And so, then there are smaller ones, people that you don't see, David, that are, you know, tucked into um, near the Humane Society or off the bike path in certain areas or the edge of the intervale. You know, they're typical places, but they aren't large like that. Are there what kind of problems uh, do folks in these living situations face? Well, I think having access to clean water would be key. Communication, you know, easy. So much is on Wi-Fi or whatever. So it's a pretty good hike to get from there to Cox Day Station or another place where you could check in on your email. Um, I think the larger issue, though, is why is it so different now than it was, say, 20 years ago? What are the broader systems that have changed that we now have so many folks who are struggling with mental health issues, substance abuse, elderly who, you know, can barely manage their medications, who, who, who don't have housing? Like why over time it's been a much slower unfolding of displacement, but it hasn't been as dramatic as what you see when there's a, a huge flood or something like COVID where suddenly the issue becomes more visible because we're moving people into motels. But they didn't just suddenly appear <laughs> this year. It's been the fallout of, I think, some policy decisions that we should be looking at differently maybe going forward be say more about that what has changed first of all how long have you been doing this i'm a dinosaur i'm ancient <laughs> um since before lake champlain no <laughs> i uh i i started at cops as a volunteer back in 1991 so so 30 years yeah so you have you have the long view and i ask because of course, I Googled 
this uh, to find the answer to that question before we came on, and I could not find the start date. All I could see was mentions of Rita Markley going back to the late 90s, and I thought, well, I just have to ask you. Uh, yeah. So 91, you started at Cots. So you really do have the long view on homelessness and how it has evolved in Vermont, or at least in the Burlington area. What are, what has changed? What are the policy decisions that it sounds like have made the situation worse? Well, back in the eight, I was also on the board of the National Coalition for the Homeless, so I have sort of a sense of what happened in other places as well. But uh, like even I say that because we're a rural state but we had many of the same urban problems as people in Chicago. But the key thing is, think about the 1980s. Emergency shelters were not routine resources for every community. COTS didn't open its doors until Christmas Eve, 1982. We didn't exist. And now there's COTS, there's a youth shelter, there's a domestic violence shelter. So back then, when we first opened, not in, I'm sorry, in 1982, we opened our doors on Christmas Eve, but it was mainly Vietnam veterans who had returned to Vermont, but never really came home. You know, they weren't able to settle and, and seven, 12 a night. Over a period of four or five years, we started to see families with kids. And then the number of individuals struggling with mental health started to increase. During that time here in Vermont, we shut down the Brandon Training School and there was no other housing replacement for people who had lived there. I'm not saying it's the right approach, but that had one time housed a significant number of people. Waterbury, years and years ago, served 700, then 400, then 300, then 100. When we created the clear policy goal of deinstitutionalizing, we talked about community mental health but we never replaced the housing. We thought about the services and there are mental health agencies in every region of Vermont, but not where people would live. So we lost sort of an inventory. I'm not saying that's the right place for people to live, but at one time it had functioned as housing. So all the community care homes, the dream of true deinstitutionalization, those type of resources didn't follow. It was just services through designated mental health agencies. So that's a policy thing that we may want to look at. There used to be boarding houses. You know, even when I, in the 90s, all the way through early 2000, we lost a couple of key boarding houses that would always take a couple of folks from cops. Those don't exist anymore. And I think um, the support that we give to people with disabilities, you know, it's just, uh, we have reduced, if you look at the amount that we used to provide and what people need, we've sort of shunted off mental health and disability costs to other systems like homeless service organizations. And that's, you know, it causes a lot of trauma for people. The other big driver is in a state like Vermont. It's a very desirable place to live. And there are simply I mean, there's a housing shortage at almost every level, whatever you're looking for, but it's particularly acute for affordable housing. So somebody who used to be able to work as the manager of the produce section at your local grocery, 30 years ago, 
they could afford a modest home, like they could own a home and still afford to go to maybe an afternoon movie on a Saturday. Now, housing costs are so high, you don't get that toehold into home ownership because you've spent 50% of your income or 60 just on rent. You can't save with that, the first down payment. So there's just sort of, there, from many different angles, th there are things that I think we can begin addressing, and I believe we will, because... Hmm. I mean, we are, uh, you know, I, I go back to a very vivid memory that I have. My first job out of college in the early 80s was working in a homeless shelter in Cambridge, Massachusetts, um, where I had the night shift. And the one of the most lasting... Um, memories that I have was I very quickly realized that there was very little difference between me and the guests. Yeah. Um, other than that, I had a safety net in that if I fell, you know, my family, there was a net that caught me. And for the folks I was seeing, there was no net. They just hit the bottom. And other than that, many of these people had college degrees. Many of them had had professional careers, we were not so different. Um, so I felt like I was often looking in a mirror when I was um, helping, trying, doing what I could to help folks. What's your sense of the face of homelessness now in Vermont? Um, who are some of the people who are homeless? What, what happens to result in people landing in your shelter, let's say? Well, it is so easy given the high cost of housing for anybody to fall behind. If you work Monday, Wednesday, Friday, you have daycare lined up and suddenly your hours are shifted to the weekend and there's no daycare open Friday, Saturday. Suddenly, like so many things, because people are paying so much, there are more people precarious than they might've been back when you were working in a shelter. So we see, we still see families with children. We see two parent working families. We see folks, uh, we have seen over the past two years, more people struggling with addiction than we had in the past. And I think that's across Vermont. It just reflects the same trend. Um, we have people who work day labor on construction jobs. We have wonderful poets. We have somebody who used to, like, I, I'm, I'm trying not to give away identifying information right now. I'm thinking of the people I know, but um, people who might have been an adjunct teacher at a local college of history, you know, um, and then things happen in any life, whether you have resources or don't, and you nailed it. It's what sort of support you have to help pick you up or buffer the fall when things get tight. We're at an inflection point now in dealing with people who are unhoused um, with the pandemic uh, and this funding that, as you note, now potentially runs to the end of the year for, to keep people in motels. Governor Scott argues that motels are not a solution to homelessness. What's your view on that? And what's your view, if we are, in fact, at an inflection point of what better care for people who are unhoused can look like as we progress through the pandemic? Well, the guy, I completely 
agree <laughs> with the governor that motels aren't the answer. I mean, it's embedded right in our mission statement. Emergency shelter is not the answer to homelessness. That's why two thirds of COT's resources go to housing or prevention. So I'm right on board with that. But in the midst of a pandemic where COVID numbers are surging again, and there truly is no other housing options. Some are on the way and on the line and will soon be available, but they aren't here right now. Why cause such greater harm by displacing people when this is the emergency transition they need to move into safer, healthier housing options? Is there some place in this country or elsewhere that you think does you know, homelessness right, that we should be modeling on as we look for solutions in the future? Um, I, I have always admired the, the Boston Homeless Healthcare Project. They, they, go, they are out at night. They're not nine to five. And they also have the scale, like they have the capacity very different than Vermont, but they do outreach to under the bridges, different known camps, and they bring people in when it's cold because they have daytime, you know, they have relationships when you're dropping off blankets, snacks, flashlights, sleeping bags. When it gets really, really cold, people are willing to come inside because there's some relationship. And um, I've always thought that having that extra level on the crisis, you know, the, have something like that would be wonderful. In terms of who's, I mean, I think what we do right, we do really well in Vermont is we haven't decided that only one model is the answer. Some people don't need a whole bunch of social services. They know how to balance a checkbook. They have a job. It just doesn't pay enough <laughs> to cover the rent or the housing. So we don't force them to meet with a case manager six times a week. This is, a case manager probably couldn't do as good a job squeezing a nickel as some of those folks. So we don't, um, I mean, we check in with people, but we are really good at tailoring our resources to the independent, to, to their need, their individual need. And somebody else might need to meet three times a week because they have acute anxiety and they're afraid to pick up the phone and call the housing authority to make sure they're still on a waiting list for housing. So I think we do that well. And in many ways, a lot of Vermont's prevention programs, I think investing even more, what do we do to keep people in housing so they do not lose it in the first place? Because it is so much harder after your credit has been lost, you have a bad landlord reference. I think we do that well, but we could do that piece so much better. And having, for those who do struggle with mental health and want to connect with a support worker, having a way to do, you know, having people who are mobile and willing to do that. Okay. Well, Rita Markley, I want to thank you for joining us this week on the Vermont Conversation. Thank you, David. Rita Markley is Executive Director of the Committee on Temporary Shelter in Burlington. That does it for this week's Vermont Conversation. You can hear this and all programs at vtdigger.org slash vermontconversation. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening. <laughs>